Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hello. Welcome. Do we have any first timers here this evening? A few? Hi. Welcome. If you're sitting around one of those people, say hi to them after this. We're glad you guys are here. Thanks for coming. My name is Landon. I am one of the elders here at City Beautiful Church. Um, I'm not normally the guy who teaches, so if this is really terrible for you, please come back. Anyway. Um, So over the last several weeks, we've been going through our church values, talking about um, kind of what we believe as a church, how we approach God and community, and we've gone through our theological values, which are intimacy, identity, and purpose. We have our communal values, which are unity, diversity, and creativity. Just last week, um, Greg and Annie gave a great message on give and receive, and our last of our personal values is explore, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to talk about what spiritual exploration is, kind of how we create space in our faith for other people with different experiences, different perspectives, different expressions of what it is to be um, a Christian, different understandings of who God is and how he works. We'll talk a little bit about kind of where that tradition comes from in Christianity, sometimes where we've kind of missed the mark and gone, gone off course, and then how we navigate into the unknown? How, how do we venture into areas that we don't understand or maybe outside of our comfort zone or outside of our, our box? And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. So to start, I'm gonna have everyone close your eyes, please. Take a deep breath. You know, we're, we're all coming from a long week, maybe You had a really difficult week. Maybe you had a really refreshing week. Maybe it was busy and stressful. Maybe it was relaxing. Uh, Maybe it was heavy. Um, Whatever whatever this week was like for you, whatever you're kind of coming in from, we just wanna take a minute to take a breath, kind of focus ourselves, um, kind of open ourselves up and say, God, that we, we trust you. Um, We open ourselves to be challenged. We open ourselves to be encouraged. We say that you're you're welcome here and we want to participate in what it is that you're doing, what it is that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. (sighs) Sometimes it's just really nice to take a deep breath, slow down for a second. Okay, so we're gonna start in Ephesians. We're gonna start in chapter three, 17 through 19. And it goes like this. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when we're talking about exploration, it kind of starts here. It starts with this recognition that God and his love 
is endless, right? It's this boundless space. It's that we're only experiencing this little piece of it. You know, that if God is really as big as we say he is, then there's so much more of him to experience than we've seen thus far. And uh, one thing I really love is oftentimes when we uh, read these verses, we, or maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I often emphasize understanding. So uh, when Paul says to grasp the word grasp, I kind of immediately assume, oh, that means to like understand, to comprehend. And it is often translated that way, but another translation is to, to obtain, to possess. Um, and then when it says to know this love that surpasses knowledge, it's kind of a strange phrase. If you're assuming that's talking about understanding, how do you understand something that surpasses knowledge? But this word know um, comes from a word that means experience, you know through experience, so it's this experiential understanding. So every, as we read this, um, this prayer is that we would possess and obtain how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to experience this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So before we jump into exploration, let's define it. Um, here's a helpful definition that I'll read. Exploration is our humble participation in the ongoing journey of true faith. It is the recognition that unconditional love supersedes our partial understanding and experience. I'll read it again. I know there's a lot of words there. Exploration is our humble participation in the ongoing journey of true faith. It is the recognition that unconditional love supersedes our partial understanding and experience. So we see even with exploration, it starts with humility. It starts with um, just the, the simple declaration that he is God and I am not, that I don't have this all figured out, and that if faith truly is an ongoing journey, we recognize that there's more ahead that we haven't seen and experienced yet. And we, we recognize that unconditional love, that this love that surpasses knowledge, that that is bigger and wider and deeper and higher than our experiences and our perspectives. You know, we've all had different backgrounds. We've all been taught different things about God. We've experienced different things in life that influence how we see God and how we see each other. And when we recognize that we're coming with a piece of that, that we don't have the whole piece, we don't have the whole picture, um, it allows us to be intentional about creating space for other people's pieces so we can all share that piece with each other and give, a, give the world a better and a bigger picture of who God is and what he's done for us. So, a little of my background. Um, I grew up in Texas as, woo, as a missionary kid um, in a Christian ministry there for a lot of years and I had a really, really wonderful childhood. Um, the older I get, the more I recognize how lucky I was in the way that I grew up. I grew up in this beautiful 500-acre campus um, with all of these people who had devoted their lives to seeing uh, the gospel spread to the corners of the world. Um, these people who were dedicated, you know, had all these friends whose parents were missionaries, and we had all this beautiful land in this really random corner of northeast Texas with fields and forests and ponds and 
I grew up in such a safe place, and I grew up with such a, a clear understanding of, of truth, and of right and wrong, and of what health looked like, and it was really, really amazing through my childhood. And as I grew up and got involved in the ministry and had more life experiences, I started to see, um, I started to see something. I started to experience some nuance in, in faith in how we apply the gospel and how we kind of journey through our understanding. And I found this kind of unexpected resistance to change this uh, in certain areas. Resistance to change, this uh, kind of hesitancy to um, try new things or to incorporate new ideas or, or nuance. And um, this is something that I call static truth. And static truth is defined um, as presenting truth by saying, this is it, this is what it means, and this is what you do with it. Um, and static truth is the enemy of exploration because what it says is we've seen it all. This is the final answer on exactly what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it, the end. You know, it, it, it basically gives the, the implied opinion that we've written, we've drawn the whole map. You know, that we're ex if we're explorers and we're, we're out trying to learn and find God in unexpected places and see what he's doing and how he works, when we present truth this way, with, you know, no nuance, this is it, it's exactly what it means, and this is the only thing you can do with that information, we're saying to ourselves and to other people that case is closed, we have this whole thing figured out, that somehow we have comprehended and understood this love that surpasses understanding. And static truth is, is actually valuable for a certain time. As a child or someone early in your faith, you need a narrow explanation of Jesus as Messiah, what he did, you know, diving into tons of nuance with little children generally isn't super helpful. Um, but as we grow and we have these new experiences and the world becomes more complex, we start to realize that there are other ways of doing things. You know, as I left Texas and came to Orlando, um, even just moving location, going to a new state, I started realizing, oh, it wasn't this revelation like, oh, everything I taught, I was taught as a child is a lie, but it was like, oh, that's just not the whole picture, you know? It was presented that way at times, but I'm realizing, oh, there are other people that are Christians too and that love God too and see this thing completely differently and have totally different politics or totally uh, different practices or they do church different or they do worship different. And at first that was really challenging for me. It was um, kind of going kind of revisiting, you know, I had these echoes of all these Sunday school lessons and things I was taught as a child, um, and kind of trying to square those with a reality that's not quite so simple and straightforward. And what happens when we, when we take ownership of this static truth, when we take ownership of this idea that we've seen it all, we've settled all the questions, new experiences cause a crisis in our faith, right? Every building block in our little tower of understanding is a linchpin, essentially, a, a cornerstone. If you just pull out one little piece, the whole thing falls apart. 
Um, so what we want to do is talk about, okay, how do we get away from that? If that's the enemy of exploration, and if God's love truly does surpass knowledge, how do you express something to someone else that surpasses knowledge? How do you explain that? How do you communicate that from one person to the other? And we start to realize that there's all this space that if his love truly does surpass our understanding, if it really is bigger than us, bigger than our boxes, bigger than our experiences, we start to see there's all of this space that can look so many different ways, that can sound so many different ways. So we wanna talk about that tonight. And this is not a new idea. Uh, there's a long history of exploration in the church, and um, I wanna visit that with you guys. So the best example of that is the Jewish culture. Um, so Jesus was Jewish. If you haven't got to that part in the Bible yet, spoiler alert. Um, and I think oftentimes we know that, you know, you're like, oh, haha, like, yeah, he's Jewish, we know that. But he was actually Jewish, not just like a guy that was born there. And, you know, we, it's easy to think of Jesus very, like, separate from his culture and his family, you know, because he was Jesus, so he's like this whole other category. But I find it really helpful to actually remind myself that he actually participated in Jewish culture. He did, he followed the traditions, he knew the laws, he did the rituals and celebrated the holidays. And when we start to see how the Jewish people have approached truth and uh, approached um, God and essentially who God is and, and what he's asking of us, uh, I think we have some really, really valuable things, things to learn. So in the Jewish tradition, when they would write down um, ideas about God, so these truths, whether they're, you know, they'd have scriptures or the central theme, they would write it in a book and then they would surround it with commentary before and after. And they would intentionally choose commentary that would spark more discussion. It was better for debate. These might be from rabbis that lived thousands of years apart. So they would put this idea in the middle and then intentionally they would add all of these opinions around it that all kind of contradicted with each other and wrestled. And then they would have these long debates about these ideas. They would study them seriously, even if they were ideas that not a lot of people really agreed with. They still gave it time and weight. They treated it as valid because I think they, they understood that they were never going to get a perfect definition for God. Never gonna get a perfect definition in words for what love is, for what salvation is, and how salvation works, and what exactly that's supposed to look like in the world. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that because we've come away from that a little bit. So they would constantly when we talk about this participation in the ongoing journey of faith, the way that that was acted out in Jewish culture was we would sit down, we have different ideas, and we would push back and forth, and we would challenge each other, and we would sharpen each other, and the goal was not to get to the answer because we know, ultimately, we're never gonna do that. We're never gonna put this big, eternal, amazing being into a box one of us isn't gonna suddenly be like, I got it, and then in like 15 words, just sum the whole thing up, and the other guy's just like, he got it, he nailed it, first, first time. 
Um, and I think when we start to recognize that, it starts to open up kind of how we treat other Christians, how we engage in conflict even. And so we see this even with Jesus. Um, he's often encountered by the Pharisees who are saying, oh, that's, that's not how that works. Here's the rule. Here are the words. We've already, we've solved this one already. Here's the little box that this goes in. And Jesus was constantly coming back and saying, you're missing the point. It's not about the words. You're never going to get the explanation just right. It's about what you do with that understanding. It's about what you live out. It's the truth that you demonstrate. So we're talking about this idea um, that the kingdom is about action. It's about demonstration. In 1 Corinthians, um, this wonderful verse that says, the kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. And, I, and Jesus expresses that so well by constantly pushing back on these Pharisees who had the right understanding, they knew the laws, they followed the rules, and Jesus kind of keeps saying, you're missing the point, you're thinking too small. You're only seeing this little piece of it. You know, the laws are there to empower us into that understanding, into that discipline of what it is to grow and engage with God. And so, you know, we often hear Jesus saying, you have heard it said, and then he'll, you know, reference a verse or a law, followed by, but I say to you something contrary to the letter of the law, either pushing it farther or pulling it back, but it's always kind of centered around this idea that it's not about those words, that the bigger picture is so much wider, so much higher, so much deeper than that understanding. And something that we're gonna practice today is something that I find really, really fascinating. So in this Jewish tradition, rabbis would sit down together, and if I was one of the rabbis, one of my fellow rabbis would sit across from me, we would debate the gospel. We would debate truth, we would debate God, we would debate the Old Testament, all these different things. At some point in our debate, if we we're talking about a certain subject, we would swap positions, swap opinions. So whatever my opinion was, he would take on and start arguing back to me, I would take on his opinion and argue that back to him. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what it means to explore. We recognize that there's so much space in God. There's, it's such a big tent. And we know that we're never going to see all of it. We're never going to get that perfect explanation. But there's this opportunity for us to engage with each other. It's you know, centered in relationship. We can engage with each other. And in doing that, challenge each other, open up things to each other that you know, we didn't think of before and give this added perspective. So... What I want you to do is get in groups of two. Right now, you may. Find someone close to you. If you're with a group of three or something, you can turn around. You don't need to know the person. If you turn and there's someone there you don't know, introduce yourself. Okay, so. Let me keep your attention for a moment. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna practice, we're gonna practice this idea. We're gonna practice debating something and then we're gonna have you guys swap positions. And I thought about all of the wonderful divisive topics we could talk about and I picked the best one. And that is, 
What is better, the beach or the mountains? Oh, I know. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take out my phone, and I'm going to start a one-minute timer. If you're in a group of two, and you're sitting farther on this side of the room than your partner, you are going to start by making an argument for why beaches are better. Okay? And I'm going to give you one minute, and when the minute is over, I will cue you, and you will switch, and your partner will make an argument for why the mountains are better. Okay? After that minute, we'll have you guys swap topics. So if you're arguing for the beach, prepare yourself. Ready and go. Start to wrap it up. Okay, thank you. I'm sure you did a great job making your argument for the beach. Now, the other one of the two arguing for the mountains, you may start now. Okay, pencils down, I'm sure you did a great job. Now we're going to go back to the first of the pair and they are now going to argue that the mountains are in fact better. They've had a revelation. So you get one minute starting now.
Okay. Great job. Now, the other person gets their turn. They've also had a revelation, and they're now going to argue why the beach is better. You have one minute, starting now. Okay, bring it back together. I know you're like halfway through that like killer point and you're about to close it. Um, okay, so that's a fun little exercise, but what can we learn from this idea? So if we look at what that debate represents, if we're talking about any number of things. Let's just use this actual example. We're making arguments about beauty and about utility and about experience and about, you know, all these things that are connected. If there was one of those you felt particularly strong for, um, it was probably because of some experience you've had, um, some particular value you get out of being in that place, kind of in the context of what your life is normally like. So if you didn't grow up around the beach, maybe the beach is like a special thing. If you didn't grow up around mountains, maybe it's that way for you too. Um, but we're, we're still talking about beauty. Ultimately, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about this big thing that we can't really fit in a box that some of us experience better at the beach and some of us experience better at, in the mountains. Um, and so th I think this is a cool, a cool way we can approach God. We can approach our understanding of God, recognizing that if we're coming to the table with the honest intention to meet God, to ha get a greater understanding of him, then it's all good. It's okay to have differing opinions. We don't need to talk until we settle on, okay, the beach is better, you're right. Or okay, the mountains are better. <laughs> I love this, this topic is so interesting because it's like people feel really strongly about it for some reason. Even when I'm saying that hypothetically, a couple people are like, oh. <laughs> His example was that the beach was better. Could you believe it? But I think this is a really, really beautiful example of ways that we can kind of come to the table with disagreements. Um, trusting that we're moving towards the same thing. We're never gonna get the perfect explanation. It's bigger than our words. There's all this space to explore. And maybe in this conversation, someone said something about the mountains and you're like, oh, you know what? That's a great point. Or maybe you'd already made the argument and you're like, I should have thought of that. Good one. You know, we all have these different perspectives. We all have different ways of explaining these things. And if we were just to say, okay, like I'm gonna write one sentence about the mountains, one sentence about the beach, 
We would miss so much of what it is to be at the beach, what it is to be in the mountains, what that experience is like. And if I'm trying to express to you that going to one of those places is really, really amazing, if I'm trying to express to you that I've found new life, that trying to express to you what salvation is, and I think I'm gonna do it by offering it in the same format, by putting it in this little sound bite, and clearly that's not, it's not gonna work. You know, we, the world is never gonna change because we explain to people what Jesus did. That's never gonna work. We can't just tell people what happened. We can't just go and explain it. We have to demonstrate it because it's too big. I mean, even when you think about salvation and Jesus dying on the cross, you can ask yourself a few layers of why questions and salvation gets really difficult to explain. Well, he did this for our sins because we were kept away from him by our sins. You're like, okay, well, like, why was it that way? Well, it was that way because of this thing and then this is how that, well, how did that actually change the way it was before? Well, it was like this old custom. It was like kind of this metaphor. So like, and you just start to ask a few questions and it is this like kind of mysterious thing. And if it was so clear and easy to define, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't have debated the topic for the last several thousand years. Um, but when we recognize that demonstrating the truth is what really counts, is the only real way to communicate these kind of ideas, I think we start to realize that that can look a lot of different ways and that there's a lot of space for all of us to explore those options. So, Okay, so we had this great heritage of collaboration and challenge and relationship and this exchange of ideas. So what happened? Why is our Christian culture not like that anymore? Well, if we look at this period in time called the Enlightenment, it was from like the late 1600s to the late 1800s. It's called the Age of Reason. And in this you know, 200 year period, we developed scientific method, and we started realizing, oh, this logic thing is really powerful. It, it's changed medicine, it changed economics and democracy. All these things kind of spurred out of here because we realized, oh, there is a way to define and explain the things that go on around us. And if we can define them in a way that takes us outside of our own subjective bias or experience, we can harness some of those ideas. We can use the forces of nature to power buildings and make machines and uh, create these amazing systems that we all have kind of anchored our society around. And those are all amazing things. But where that went wrong was Christianity tried to follow suit. Tried to say, oh, okay, well in a world now that's giving so much weight to logic and reason in fact, what do we do with a book that's filled with truth about love that surpasses understanding, that's beyond knowledge? And so in an effort to keep that relevant, we reverted back to a static truth and said, oh, no, 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 this, this is that. This has always been that. It's always been a straightforward manual that says, this is what it means. This is exactly what we're supposed to do with it. There aren't any questions. We're all good. We're all on the same page. 
And as we talked about before, static truth can only exist in a vacuum. Meaning, if you get other experiences and differing opinions in there, it starts to fall apart quickly. You know, we see this on, you know, somewhere like Facebook. Facebook is so polarizing in so many ways now, and that's why, is because we've created these silos, we've created these vacuums where Facebook shows me exactly what I want to see, exactly what I already agree with, and I just think, oh, everyone, everyone thinks what I think. All these people totally agree with me. Those other guys over there, they're idiots. They don't get it. And it's really easy to define things down to these really polarized black and white statements because we found a way to separate ourselves from each other. And then I'll turn on CNN or Fox News or I'll go on Google News. It'll show me all the topics that it knows I like to read about. And we all participate in isolating ourselves so that things can be simple and easy. And we saw this with the church. So the church made this turn with the rest of the world. Oh no, it's about logic, it's black and white, it's all very easy, cookie cutter boxes, this isn't that difficult to understand, all these topics we've been debating for thousands of years, those guys were, you know, they were wrong, we finally figured it out, we have arrived. And the only way that could survive was by slowly separating itself from society. So. What seemed to start with an intention of making the Bible relevant to the current culture actually did the opposite. By presenting truth as the static, simple, explainable thing, the only way we could actually protect that approach was to slowly silo it away from society until we get to the place where we are now, where we feel like it's this other, <laughs> totally other camp, that for us to exist that way, for us to have some of these ideas, we have to keep it closed. You know, we have to keep things uniform. And so we talk about diversity and wanting to cultivate diversity in our church and you know, in this city and in our own personal lives. That cannot happen unless we recognize that there is more space than we have currently explored. There is more map to be written. Other people have perfectly valid differing experiences and opinions in us, and we're missing out on participating in that because we've decided that those are deal breakers. Even if we're talking about beauty, even if you're talking about the beach and I'm talking about the mountains, even if what we care about and what we're defending is the exact same thing, we've decided that we can't participate in that because you're wrong, right? And it's such a sad thing, but so how do we get back from that? How do we, so if we have all of this space, if there is this, this big everlasting love that surpasses knowledge and understanding, how do we navigate that? Because exploration is not wandering. We're not just putting on a blindfold and just trying anything that pops into our head. We do know some things about God. We do have some experiences about his goodness. We do have pieces of the map. We do have a couple of puzzle pieces. And so even, you know, if we think about literal exploring, it's back in the day, guy would get on a boat, he's gonna go draw a new part of the map, explore a new part of the world. He didn't just go to the shore, hop on the boat, and just like, see where the wind takes us. No, there was a, 
we're going to this part of the map that we haven't gotten to yet, and we're going to see what it's like over there. We're going to have that experience. But they can only get there with a North Star, with some kind of navigation, right? So we have something we do understand, something we have experienced before and tested. We can use that to lead us into areas we have not experienced and not tested. Does that make sense? OK, so what is that North Star? Um, I think the best example of a North Star for us we see in Matthew 22, 35 through 40. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So listen to that last statement. It's, it's a big statement. He says, all of the law and all of the prophets, which represent everything these people had in how they understood God. He said all of that, all the experiences, all the commentary, all of that hangs on these ideas. To love God with everything you are and to treat other people like you would want to be treated. To put other people first. And if we boil it all down to that, that's one of those things that gets difficult to define. Okay, well, how do you explain that to someone else? If that's the goal, we don't really have a lot of real effective options besides demonstrating that truth, right? And so we see this echoed in other verses in Matthew 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In Romans, be indebted to no one except to one another in love. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In Galatians, the entire law is fulfilled in a single decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus has a similar exchange in Luke. And the response is, well, who is my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? And Jesus uses this really fascinating and controversial example in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So... Those of you who haven't heard, really quick recap. The parable of the Good Samaritan goes like this. This guy walking on a road, he gets attacked by robbers, beaten and left for dead. While he's lying on the side of a road, he's passed by by a priest who sees him and goes to the other side of the road and keeps going. And a Levite who does the same thing. So these two people in Jewish culture are the people who have it figured out. They're the religious superstars. They know all the verses. They went to the best Bible schools. They're like, okay, those guys, they made it. They did it. They had all the right thinking, the right understanding. And then the person Jesus uses as a model for what it is to be a neighbor is a Samaritan who comes, helps the man, takes him to an inn, and says, take care of him. All of his expenses I will pay. So there's this really controversial context here that's really important for us to get. Samaritans were seen by the Jews as heretics. They weren't just a group of people they didn't like. They didn't like them because they thought they did everything wrong. They, wor they worshipped the same God, but they had some different scriptures and different books that they emphasized. They had different rules about who they could marry and how they worshipped. And because of that, the Jews saw them as heretics. 
You know, it's like your worst enemy is someone who's like distorting the thing you care about most. And Jesus uses this person to challenge his listeners and say, this is what it means to be a neighbor. This is what it means to demonstrate the gospel. All of the law, all of the prophets, all of this that we know about God is summed up. He hangs it on someone who everyone listening knows has or thinks has the wrong theology, the wrong style of worship. Basically, they're in the denomination that's not going to make it to heaven. <laughs> right? And that's such a powerful statement. Jesus just like drops that bomb and everyone's just left like, oh, what is happening? Because he's saying, okay, it's not about the words. These guys had it figured out. They didn't help the man. Their knowledge counts for nothing. And so we see in the kingdom, we're unified by our actions, not by our understanding. We are unified by our actions, not by our understanding. So if we realize, okay, it is this vast space that we're here to demonstrate this huge eternal love that we've experienced and to express that in our lives, if we're both feeding the poor, if we disagree on baptism, really probably doesn't matter. We can both focus on, okay, what are we here to do? What's the ultimate demonstration of what we believe? You know, if I think you should be sprinkled when you get baptized, if you think you should be dipped head first after your 21st birthday, like none of that is important unless we agree. Basically, none of that is important as long as we agree about what baptism is, about what the ultimate intent of baptism is. You know, if we're all trying to get to the same place, getting there by different routes is a lot less important. You guys tracking with me? So I want to sum it up in this challenge. God doesn't need to be defended. He needs to be demonstrated. <laughs> God doesn't need to be defended. He needs to be demonstrated. So when you have that knee-jerk reaction where you want to explain to someone why they're wrong, you want to explain truth to someone, you want to explain love, you want to explain what's right and wrong, take a breath and ask yourself, how can I demonstrate that idea instead? You know, if we recognize that it really is this big thing, that it really is a kingdom of power, of action, of demonstration, then let's find ways to express that with power and demonstration and action. So we go back to our definition of exploration. Exploration is our humble participation in the ongoing journey of true faith. It is the recognition that unconditional love supersedes our partial understanding and experience. So I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes. And ask yourself some of these questions. In what area of my life is God asking me to explore? What topic or idea have I moved past? Have I become complacent in? Have I believed? Have I thought too, too small and believed that the whole map had already been, been drawn? There's nothing left to experience or to explore.
in what areas can I demonstrate a love that is beyond my understanding? Unconditionally. That requires us to step outside of our comfort zone to demonstrate a radical love that we cannot explain simply in words. Maybe it's how we approach the Bible. Maybe it's how we express our faith in politics or how we approach evangelism or what we think God has to say about our relationships in the workplace or in our families, what that has to look like. Maybe it's in how we view other churches who do things differently. Instead of recognizing the beauty in that difference, the beauty in that diversity, maybe we've, we've written them off because it doesn't fit our little piece of the puzzle. And as you keep your eyes closed, I'm gonna pray this prayer that was written by an explorer in the 1500s. He's one of the first um, voyagers to circumnavigate the globe. And he has this really amazing prayer. It was written down that I think uh, really applies. It says, disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we dreamed too little. When we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. In our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly and to venture on wilder seas when storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes, to push back the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.